Good, good. Once again, I want to say thank you for allowing me, Yolanda McTeer, access to take some of your time and interview with me. Now, as you may have heard me introducing you, and I'm going to reiterate, the organization, for many of you of my listeners who may be just tuning in with me or who are not even familiar, the Black Mafia family, anonymously known as BMF. Once again, the two head honchos of this organization were two brothers, Demetrius and Terry Lenore. Southwest T was known as T, and Big Meech was Demetrius. Now, Danny, I want you to share with my audience and for those who will be tuning in listening to the interview, between those two brothers, which one did you actually meet and connect with the Black Mafia family? Well, I ended up, I ended up meeting both of them, and uh, I met I met Meach first. I met Meach first down in Atlanta, down at his condo, and uh, because I had to go down there, me and Wani had to go down there, which is a guy from St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, that ran St. Louis, uh, Wani. And uh, we had to go down there. We ended up going down there, and we had a meeting with uh, Meach the first time. And uh, I ended mm-hmm. up meeting Meech. He, uh, he was in his white Phantom when I first met him. And uh, he knew all about me before I even got there. And uh, he said, uh, you dog, man. I said, yes, that's who I am. And still didn't know, don't know me who, who he was until one when I went back upstairs, one he told me who that was. So, but I ended up meeting with, uh, being with Terry because the two brothers had split it up at that time. So I got closer to Terry. Okay. Hello. Yes, still here. I can hear you well. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, wonderful. So once again, you became you met Big Meech first, but then you actually became connected to T. Now, do share with the audience how you acquired the nickname Dogman. Well, I uh, started off, um, I worked on the railroad for like 13 years. And, um, you know, we used to work all year round when it's below zero degrees. So um, I had bought me some American Bulldog uh, to do some extra money on the side. And I said, well, I'm going to start breeding these American Bulldogs. And this so happened, I did breed the dogs, and I had the dogs out there in the front yard. And uh, that's when I met Wanning. Uh, he was riding down the street in a new Escalade. That's when the Escalades first came out, and he had one of the, the new ones. And uh, he stopped by and he said he wanted to buy one to buy a dog for me. And uh, he took pictures of the dogs. He sent them to he sent the pictures to Big Meech, and uh, and me said, man, yeah, I want two of those right there. So uh, when Ronnie came, when he left, he said, I'll be back. So I went to her, I told my guy, I said, yeah, right, they all say that. I ain't worried about him. So he showed up, like he said he would, two weeks later. Uh, he knocked on the door, and he had some more uh, BML guys was with him. But at that time, I didn't know they were BML members. So I didn't keep in mind, they didn't let me know none of that when I first started selling the dogs at all. So, and he brought some more guys by there, which is another big, uh, big guy. Uh, heavy hitter in St. Louis was was Holyfield, and um, so the guys came over. They looked at the dogs, and uh, uh, 
Big Me said he wanted two dogs. So uh, when they came the second time, matter of fact, they paid me all what I wanted for the dog. They gave me all my money right there. So, and that's how I started off. Uh, that's how I got that name, Dog Man. Matter of fact, T gave me that name, Dog Man. That was my name. So that's okay. how I ended up with that, okay. with that name. That's how I ended up with that name. Dog Man. Okay. All right. So progressing forward, now you, you know, you sold, you know, the dogs, and you're seeing a profit, you know, great profit coming from this. Did it? inspire you to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to start actually, you know, breeding my dogs and, and making a business out of this um, to continue going forward with selling dogs. Yes, I did. I did I did do that for a while. And then I got approached by uh, by one, one of the BMF members, he said, hey, Danny, he said, what about you drive me to Atlanta? Uh, drive me to Atlanta, and I'm going to pay you. I'll rent the car. You just drive me there and drive me back. And uh, I said, well, you know, I got to be at work in the, uh, next morning. He said, we can turn around. It's up to you. So I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. Drive there and turn back. It ain't nothing for me. So I did that. Uh, we got back, and he said, Danny, um, I want you to be my personal uh, driver. And uh, he said, you might can't do both jobs. That means you might have to quit the railroad. So I said, what? He said, yeah, you might have to quit the railroad because when I need to leave, I better need to call you and uh, you need to come on and pick me up. And uh, at that time, Ronnie had just got out the halfway house, so he couldn't leave or he couldn't be driving. So uh, I said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot and see what happened because the railroad, they was working me like two days or three days a week. Keep in mind, I still got a house note, and I got three, two car payments, you know, every month. So mm-hmm. he said, well, I tell you what, you can make more money with me than you can with the railroad. So I thought he was playing, you know, and until I got that first check, everything changed. So I became his uh, personal driver for him, and um, and that's what I did. You know, at that time when I came, when I go pick him up, when we used to pick up the guffle bag. Uh, money, now I know it was money, I thought it was clothes, you know, so, you know, keep in mind, I'm still new to all this right now, so I'm thinking we just got clothes, so at that time, when we were going back to, to Atlanta, from St. Louis to Atlanta, from Atlanta to Detroit, uh, that's where T was at, in Detroit, so at that time, I came his personal driver for him, I had left the railroad, I left the railroad alone because they had got slow they started laying guys off. So mm-hmm. uh, I started his personal driver, you know, and uh wherever he wanted to go, that's where I took him at. That's where I drove him at. You know, wherever he needed, you know, as far as where he needed to go, I take him now. Okay, and then understandable. I went, so then when I left from when I when I graduated from there as I was around the organization more then that's when I started seeing a whole lot more and then at that time they they kept moving me up the ladder so I went from dog man to raising dogs, selling dogs to a driver, from a driver to being a manager for the whole organization mm-hmm. So when you so, escalated mm-hmm. to being a manager 
now your life takes another shift. Now yes, share it does. with us. Now share with us what you can. In audience, I say that out of respect to Danny, him and I having talked off the air. Some things we are not going to talk about in this interview, out of respect for him, the organization of BMS, and also not wanting to implicate anything that we're not supposed to talk about. So I'd like for you to share, after becoming the manager, what you can share. When your life took a turn, you saw much more money, you began to live lavishly. How did you feel at this particular time in your life, as you stated to us, hey, I was working on the railroad barely five days a week. Now I've seen money like I've never seen before. What did you do for yourself that that took you to another level, being a manager now for this organization? Well, I can, I can tell you it's, it's easy. Well, when I came the manager role, I was responsible for the cars getting in, the cars getting out. Uh, I was responsible for the drugs that came in. I was responsible for the drugs to go out and make sure the drugs went where they needed to go. Uh, I was responsible for when T came in. When he come in town, everything stops. I'm catering to him. Wherever he needed to go or whatever he needed to do, I was that guy that did that. And mm-hmm. also, I was also responsible for trying to get the, getting the guys in, the drivers in, not only the drivers, but the workers that worked in the lab that did the processing for the cocaine for us. So I was responsible for that too also. Also that those guys couldn't go out and get food like I could because when they came in town, they were stuck to the house. They couldn't go out the house. So if their girlfriends wanted to come in, that means I was responsible going to pick their girlfriends up and bring them in to the house, and they couldn't leave out the house. So I had a big, big responsibility uh, doing all of that. So my job was like 24 hours, never stop, around the clock. Because I was one, I was one of the, the, the members that knew St. Louis in and out. So therefore, the guys are from Detroit, from Miami, to California, from all the different places. They didn't have no idea how to get around or how to move around. So that responsibility was on me. Now, during this time that you were doing all of this and not really having a life of your own because you had committed and dedicated yourself to BMS for your responsibility as the role of a manager, were you married at the time or were you single? Uh, Single. Okay. And did you find yourself, because like you said, they're girlfriends and uh, so forth flying in, did you find yourself uh, having time to even have a girlfriend and also fly her in and, you know, lavish her and and, and spoil her like they did with their uh, better half? No, no, I ain't have time. I ain't have no time. So because, like, again, like I said, I had a lot of response. So I would have maybe three or four limousines coming in at, I would have two limousines going in. I would have maybe one limousine at at another place that I had to guide him in. So no, I didn't. I didn't have time. My time was uh, just working. That's what I did most of my time. Understandable. Now, how many years did this go on for you, Danny, uninterrupted? That you did this consistently? Woo, man! I can go back. Uh, let's see, two thousand four. I can say, 
I had a good run, I'm going to say at least close to almost seven years. Okay, seven years, which is actually in um, God's kingdom, the year's completion. So seven years. Now, after seven years have passed, what turned? What changed? Well, and and we had got raided in 2004. Uh, we got raided, and uh, it all came to an end when the uh, feds raided in, raided in the house. Uh, he was throwing a big gambling party because he was going back to California, back home. And uh, he had all the guys over there uh, at the money house, and uh, they were doing a big gambling thing. So there was a lot of calls when I left there early. So but when I come back that night, I had a, a guy call me and say, well, then I need to see T. And he told me to call you to bring me out to the house so I can bring him his money that I owed him. So and I called T to make sure, confirm that, and he said, yeah. So as we get there, it's a lot of more calls there than when I left the first time. It was just like regular calls, you know. But come mm-hmm. to find out, there was DUA in the house. So when I pulled around to the back of the house, uh, down around the in the driveway around, I see a guy up there, white guy. I know that was wrong, then. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, DUA on the jacket, so I finally uh, back my truck up, try to get away. Uh, me, uh, in the midst of me doing that, I hit a, a DUA car, uh, um, and I was apprehended. And the guy that was with me, he ended up getting away. That's how he managed to get away because they was mostly focusing on me. So, okay. uh, so that's how my life uh, it changed that day. And uh, they took me to uh, St. Louis County, where T was at, and we was all in one big room. Everybody that got raided in that night, uh, we was all in one big room. And I ended up okay. getting out. I ended up getting out that same day because I didn't have no power or nothing like that. So they released me on my own uh, recognizance whatever you call that is. And um, so they charged me with, uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, um, I can't think of the crime they charged me with. Uh, attempted to run over uh, an agent. Well, I didn't know he was an agent. He was dressed up in black. They was all dressed up in black suits like mummy. So I didn't know. I thought we were being robbed. <laughs> so your objective so, was, I'm going to get the heck up out of here. I don't want to get robbed. Yeah, I got I got yeah, I got I got to go. So, but in the midst of that, like I say, that's when my uh, life changed, and then it changed again. It took another turn where I got shot seventeen times with a forty cap. My God! Now, leading up to you being shot, which you are truly a miracle and a testimony to be able to still be with us today, and even you know give your testimony of surviving such a malicious and I do repeat malicious attack, unfortunately a lot of people, you know, would never have survived. So I know without a shadow of a doubt God had a calling and saved you for a reason, not a season. So now you get out, Danny. Uh, you were never charged uh, from the raid or what have you. Now at that time, was that the beginning end reigning of BMF or did P get out and things continue and after the scenario with Meech happened, it actually fell to the ground? No. Um, at that time, T never got back out. When they got their hands on T, 
she had made about 10 different, maybe 10 or 5 different passports from different countries. So they knew that when they got their hands on him, him and the brother, that it, they never seen the daylight again or street again. So they knew how powerful those they knew how powerful those brothers was. So they they never did see the streets again. Okay. So now your life continued as you stated. You you know you were free. And what were you doing at that point? Because now pretty much you know you being a manager and taking instructions from the head honcho is no longer valid. So did you continue and go back to your dog breeding, or what were you doing? Well, I was I was time when I got out I hired me a uh, a lawyer. The truck that mm-hmm. he bought for me a two thousand Dodge Ram, um, that he had bought for me, he bought for me brand new. They ended up taking the truck, uh they ended up taking my truck. It took me like a year to get it back from them. Uh they didn't find no money in there, they didn't find no stash spot, they didn't find none of that, so the judge made them release the truck back to me. Um I ended up doing that. Then I st- when I got out, I still had, when I was doing this doing this organization with T, I still was doing rehab houses. So I started buying rehab houses and fixing them up. So I used to buy like three or four rehab houses, and then I would hire people to come in and do my plumbing, my electrician, my roofing, and all that stuff, my landscaping and all that. So at that time when I was working for him, then I hired me, a, I got me a manager to hire, I hired somebody to oversee the project that I had for the houses and stuff that I had. Okay. So I kept so I kept that I so I I kept that going at the midst of at the same time me dealing with the stuff with BMF. Understandable. Okay. Now in doing that, once again you're living, you have your freedom, everything's good. Take us to how you ended up being shot. What happened? Well I don't want to let too much of it out in the book. It's about greed. We had a BMF member that was real, real greedy. And um, so he ordered a hit, which, again, did nobody know where the lab house was at or the money house. This person knew where both of them was at. So a dead man can't talk. I'm the only person that knows, and he knows. Mm-hmm. But God worked in mysterious ways. And um, he ended up uh, stealing from us and ended up getting caught at the same time. So that's what led oh. me getting shot 17 times with a 40 cal. Now, recovering from being shot that many times, after you saw that God allowed you to walk out and not be paralyzed, still in your right mind and be a blessing, what was running through your mind at that point? What were you saying to yourself, Danny? When I got shot or when I was laying in that hospital bed? Which one you want to know? When you, no, when you were laying in the hospital bed and you came to and you realized, hey, I'm going to be a free man. I'm still in my good, you know, I still have my limbs mm-hmm. and free. and everything available. Uh-uh. No, no. I wasn't free because I still went and did federal time. You know what I did when, when all the surgeries I went through? Um, I still ended up having to go away for a while. So... Uh, at that time, when I was laying in the bed, the hospital bed, and like I said, I had to learn everything all over again. Learn how to walk. I had to do all that over again. Uh, at that time, when I woke up, I was, I was real, real, real angry. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was angry for a while, and, um, and I had 
I had to uh, get over get over that, and, and I found a better way how to deal with it. You know, and I just uh, start praying to the man upstairs, and I start. One day I was just laying in the hospital bed. It was about seven thirty. Some told me to put it on this channel right here, and I start watching TV Jakes, and mm-hmm. uh, I start watching that, watching that every Sunday. So that's how I deal with it, and I prayed a lot. And then I had my family member would come up there and visit me all the time. There was always somebody around the clock with me all the time. So that's how I deal with it, and I prayed about it. I prayed about the whole situation. Wonderful. And you're right, God does work in mysterious ways. Now, you did say in between um, sharing that testimony with us that you actually had to go away in due time. Now, how long were you gone? I was gone for a pretty good minute. It's all in the book. I don't want to get too okay. much away. Okay. Wonderful. Um, viewers, uh, listeners, for those of you who are will be listening to the interview, as you heard, Danny said, by all means, buy his book, CMS, um, The St. Louis Story, uh, by Jerry Heyman. Now, writing the book is what I want to get into next, Danny. Um, Jerry, how did you, you know, Jerry and yourself connect and you allowed him access? I mean, because I'm sure you could have allowed many people to write the book, but you said, hey, I'm giving you this dominion over something that is, as we know, an icon organization. Because even after these brothers are still incarcerated, you and I both know that the legacy and talk about them continues every day. People, mm-hmm. um, you know, relish and, uh, you know, still want to know and always talk about the Black Mafia family. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did mm-hmm. you come to collaboration with Jerry in writing the book and choosing him? Well, what did I do? When I, the day that I got shot, I went back to the restaurant. Uh, it was on Washington. And um, I went back, and I just went back in my head. Uh, and actually, I seen the truck when I was sitting out outside eating, me and my girlfriend. And um, didn't pay no second thought about it. And I just had to go down and just take a, take a stroll down on Washington. And me and Jerry were sitting there, and we, we talked, and he said he was an author. And we uh, traded numbers back and forth, and uh, we got to talking, and I told him I had a story that I, I would like to write a book about. So we got, as we got more, I felt more comfortable with him. Um, we started talking, and it went from there. Okay. And I know at this time that the book is doing exceptionally well. Now, I'm going to get a little bragging rights and being granted access to this interview. I know people are constantly um, wanting to get an interview with you. So for me, what set me aside that you allowed me to be able to talk to you? Well, I mean, I, I talked to you, and uh, I reached, matter of fact, I think I seen you on my Instagram, my Instagram, Twitter, as you on my Twitter, and um, I contacted uh, my guy Jay Hill, and I said I'm gonna give. Uh, so somebody told me to give you a shot, and I said I'm gonna go ahead and give her a shot, and uh, and I had Jay Hill to, to contact you for me. 
Wonderful, wonderful, and I thank you for it. I just always am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason, and that God allows things to, uh, you know, happen. So I'm grateful that you allowed me access. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who will be tuning in, listening to this interview, I'm not going to keep Danny long, um, but as he's been sharing with us, and you all had some insight into him being a former member of the Black Mafia family. Danny, before I let you go, one last question I want you to share uh, with everyone. Um, being that you had the inside, you know, connection that many men desired and wanted but never had, what would you say to the young men out here? And I know you've heard it and you've probably seen it. For those wanting to be a replica, because that's what they are. They are a replica because, in my personal opinion, and I'm sure you will agree, there will never, ever be another organization that can bring it to the streets the way these brothers did. What would you say to them to detour them away from trying to live a life that's not going to be prosperous and end well for them? Uh, I, if they would need it, the, the young African American is coming up right now. Right now, these people are not playing. They ain't got no problem giving out no 20 or 30 years. You know, they, you know, some of our guys, they didn't have them hardly even on uh, a wiretap, and they just going by. I've seen some guys get 15 years just because a person say that they did. So basically what they do, they put you in this bag. And they tell you, well, fight your way out this bag the best way you can because that's how they're doing it. So I would tell any person, you better know what you're doing when you do it and do your homework on it about it before you do it so you know what the outcome is going to be or what you're looking at. And I would just tell any person, uh, especially the young generation coming up right now, it's not worth it because it will never be an organization like that in the world. I can I, I can tell you that it, it it those two brothers there together they was a genius. There was something that never been never have never been done like that. Um, where those brothers had power over different states or uh, out through the whole United States. That had never happened again in life. So once again, ladies. Go ahead. Go ahead, Danny. No, go ahead. No. So I would just tell the, the the kids that's coming up right now, the guns and the drugs, it's not worth it. You know, it's it's not worth it. You got to look at what I went through. You know, I went through surviving 17 shots with a 40 cal. I got hit in every place that you can imagine, even down there. But thank God that still worked. So, and then again, like I say, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want nobody to go through none of that. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't wish that on my my worst enemy, you know, to go through what I went through. You know, I had to have five surgeries on just on my face, and I mean, when they got through with me, um, the doctor, uh, he said, "Then you'll never be able to tell." And actually, I was the first person that they experimented on like this. Mm-hmm. So, but if you saw me right now today, you wouldn't even know that I had five surgeries just on my face. That's just on my face. That's not including any other part of my body. What a miracle. What a miracle. And it just makes me happy for you to be able to sit here and do the interview with me and be such a strong testimony. Uh, And I pray that the younger generation 
that will listen to this interview because, once again, when the name BMF comes out or it's talked about, people just instantly migrate, that they will pay heed to what you shared today, that it's not a lifestyle that young men want to take on. They really don't know what no. they're getting into. They don't know what no. lies ahead. And like everything in life, there's a beginning and there's an ending. That's correct. Um, now there's a lot forward, that goes along with it. A lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifices. You're absolutely right. And, uh, Danny, what would you say to – I'm going to switch it up a little bit. What would you say to women? Because you saw also, too, the lavish lifestyles and, unfortunately, um, you know, Big T's uh, wife, which technically was his wife, even though they were together for 16 years, uh, still labeled her as, you know, the wife. She actually, and many of the other women connected with these men, had to go do jail time. So what would be your, you know, inspiration and advice to these women? Because a lot of times, you know, we all want the lifestyle. We want the money. And, you know, I'm a testimony to it. I actually dated two of the guys on Meech's side, one was on T's side, separate from each other, not at the same time. But... I look at God's hand was on my life because, you know, I, you know, did some things, is all I'm going to say, um, that I had no business doing. But uh, being in some places I had no business being, what would you say to the women wanting these quote-unquote baller boyfriends or baller husbands? What well, would you say to okay. them? Again, I would say the same to them. As, I would say the same thing as I would say to the young men. Here's you got to know what you're doing when you're doing it, and make sure, look into it as something, is this what you really want to do, or do you want to uh, leave your family for this? You got to, you know, you got to ask yourself. And I would just tell them to make uh, better choices and be smart about the choices that they make because it's not worth it. It's not. And I would I would touch and agree with you there. It's definitely not worth it um, because once it's all done and it's collapsed, you know, the party's over and things. It's a done deal. Um, but I would say, and I'm going to ask you this, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, I would, and would you agree, I know you hear it uh, probably from your friends and, you know, younger family members, the world now, especially the younger generation of guys, have totally changed. Now, even though those guys ran such a notorious organization, they really had a reference and respect for women. Now the era has changed so much, these young men now, all they do is reference women as bitches, hoes, you know, it's a total disrespect. They don't even want to pump your gas. They don't want to work. They want the women to take care of them. Do you think that's kind of like a fight back? Like, okay, we're not going to do what, you know, these brothers did. We're going to do it our way. Or that's just how the world took a turn. I think that's how the world just took a turn. But, again, um, they better wake up and smell the coffee. That's all I can tell you. Wake up and smell that folding because it's there. With a strong smell because you and I both, yeah. you know, we both. Yeah. So they got to wake up because reality is going to set in real fast. Again, Danny, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for taking the time to grant me once again access to this interview. Um, I look forward to even keeping up with you, uh, but having you back on, I want to hear the great things that you're doing, and I know you're living your life on a daily basis. Um, yes. A day, yeah. a day with Danny, how does it feel when you wake up in the morning? What's the, what, what's the current day like in 2015 with Danny? Uh, I get up. I feel good when I get up. 
sun right there in my face. I get up. I'm able to go out there to my kennel, you know, let my dogs out, take care of my dogs. I'm doing what I did when I first started, except I got it on a bigger scale now where I'm selling uh, uh, dogs, South African barbers, German Shepherd, all over the world now. So uh, I feel good. uh, I live good. I mean, no worries, no stress. Uh, I'm okay. I'm happy. Can be no better. Wonderful, wonderful, praise God. A true testimony you are. Now, is there any last words I'm going to give you that honor and dignity and respect that you'd like to share with us before I let you go today? Yeah, I would just like to say I would like for the young girls and young men to wake up. You know, matter of fact, tomorrow, Tuesday, I have a school that I have to go speak to a lot of young kids, which I've been doing. I have a school that I've been, um, that I'm invited to down in Charlotte that I had to go speak to some young 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 girl young young men and young young ladies that I had to go do do interviews. Um so I would just say that they, they they need to wake up because the world is, is real and they don't have no problem. The judge don't have no problem, the prosecutor ain't got no problem giving out them big numbers because that's exactly what they done to us up. So our black African Americans. They losing them in the mm-hmm. system. And yeah, they're not yeah. playing they they they're not playing they're not playing about it. They being for real about it. So, uh, and the, and the and the and the time that they're giving out is not no joke at all. So, I would just tell them to wake up because it's it's real out here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and young generation, for those of you who will hear this interview, we've just heard Danny give you some very powerful very powerful impartation on reality of what it means to be a part of, as we say, the hoo-hoo and the hustling side of life. Danny, I know you're going to be a great inspiration when you go speak uh, to the school. You said Tuesday? Um, yes, sir. So that's going, to, that's going to be great. And I hope that they will listen with both ears and take heed to what you share with them. And as you go to continue to move forward in your life, my prayer is that God continues to cover you and give you that impartation because our community really needs it. We as Afro-Americans are very limited on what we have as mentors to be told this is not the life that you want. So we thank God that you're taking that initiative to go forward and pour out to the young people. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to stay on the air and talk a little bit more um, and let my followers know how they can hear this interview once I do air it and where they can listen to it at. And I want you to have a prosperous, joyous, and blessed day. Thank you. You do the same thing, ma'am. All right. And we will talk again soon. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go and enjoy your day and get your fun to eat on because I know you eat good. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I got I to gotta go, I gotta, I gotta go get that soul food plate. I got to go get it. I can't turn that I down. Know you, yeah, I know you do. It's, it's, it's Sunday, so I know. I'm yeah. like that too. If I'm traveling or I'm somewhere, where's my soul food? Because I, I need to get it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got to have that now. <laughs> All right. You have a good day. You have a wonderful day and a great day, and we'll talk again soon. And uh, so ladies and gentlemen, we're saying goodbye to Danny, anonymously, anonymously known as Dog Man here at Empowerment for All. Danny, once again, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye bye now. You too, man. All right. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that We'll be listening to this interview. Once again, this is Evangelist Yolanda McTeer, 
I was granted all access, and I do mean granted, all access to interview a former known, highly connected, involved member of one of the most notorious organizations, Afro-American organizations, that came to life on the streets, the Black Mafia family, anonymously known as BMS. Danny, anonymously known as Dogman, has shared with us his connection, how he walked away from being a nine-to-five worker for taking on the life of a manager and how it all ended for him also being shot 17 times and living to tell about it. For those of you, I'm going to give you a little insight to BMF who may not really kind of still be appalled or a little bit uh, in awe or not knowledgeable. And for those of you who may have forgotten, once again, if you want to hear Big Meech, actually has done some live interviews from jail. If you go on YouTube, there is one that he does, and he talks about detailed himself being the head of the organization. Um, he It's called Meech Talks Money, Hip Hop, True State of the Streets, and more. He also talks about, in a short excerpt, his beef with Young Jeezy. He strictly says Young Jeezy is a liar. Once again, it is on YouTube. This is nothing Yolanda's saying. Big Meech is on the phone from jail stating that Jeezy is a big liar and that Jeezy turned his back on him when he pretty much helped fund a lot of Young Jeezy's career when Jeezy was coming up in the ranks. He had made it, and he Meech played a big part with his monetary funding in producing and helping Young Jeezy get in the studio and be able to pay for that type of stuff. Now, just as Danny has said in the interview, and I will contest to it, having lived it and been a part in it, not the organization. Let me clarify that because I don't want you all tweeting me or sending me messages asking me how it was to be a part of BMF. Yolanda was never a part of BMF. When I say living in the air and being a part of it, I actually met Big Meech young in the younger days of BMF. He had just pretty much came to Atlanta. They had started partying in one of the clubs that I danced at in my dancing days, yet before I stopped dancing and went to the pages of the Bible, Magic City. Meech and I struck up a conversation because he had on a belt which stuck out to me, and I was in love with this designer because I desired to have this designer's handbag. This designer was known as Barry Kimmelstein Court. He always had replicas, not replicas, but he had actual animals, like a tiger head, an alligator, a bird, but they were all in diamonds, encrusted in diamonds. And Meech had on an alligator belt. By you know fashion because most Afro-Americans are not into Barry Kimmelstein Court. And I said, yes, I do. I'm looking at one of his handbags now. So he invited me to dance and drink some champagne. From that point on, they would frequent the club all the time, and I would see them. 
but they didn't really ball out. They were kind of really reserved and very quiet. But as years progressed on, three or five years down the road, I had stopped dancing and moved on with my life and actually left Atlanta. I was getting phone calls. Girl, you need to get back to Atlanta. Big Reach is off the chain. Black Mafia family is what it's called. It's going down. They party in seven days a week. The girls in the club, when they come to the strip club, are making ten, twenty, thirty thousand a set. It's just crazy. And I was like, no, not quiet, Michi. They were like, he's still quiet, but he is balling out of control. They were like, Yolanda, it's so many men, Afro-American men with money. Girl, you better come to town and get you a baller and get some of this money. So, Lord and behold, you know, I still love money. <laughs> so I, I, I actually came to Atlanta, and I went to Magic City on a Monday night because Monday night was always the Magic City night. And they said, come early because they said, when Big Meach come, you ain't going to be able to get in the door, and it's going to be like $200 to get in, so get here early because they're going to be showing up no later than 12 o'clock. So I got there about 10.30, was sitting around, you know, drinking and kind of socializing with some people, some old friends I hadn't seen in a while. And I had went outside and was talking to a couple of the bodyguards and security, and I see this beautiful black phantom coming down the street. And the security was like, here they come. It's going down. Big Reach was in the all-black phantom, uh, rimmed out, special paint, just a beautiful vehicle. But remind you, following him was at least, and ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, at least 20 more cars, Ferraris, Porsches, Jags, Benzes, top-of-the-line BMW motorcycles. It looked like something out of Hollywood. I was blown away. So I proceeded to go back in the club and kind of just sit back and, you know, wait till they got in because I wanted to see how he really was partying. Was this true what I had heard? So, you know, they gather around the stage. They're ordering the champagne. They're doing it. His song comes on. Young blood, we don't give a damn. We don't give a what. Bloop, bloop, bloop. And it, the crowd goes crazy. He just starts throwing money. And it was just like, wow, I, I've got to get over here so he can see me. Because, you know, I know he's going to remember me. So true enough, I finagle my way through his boys because they're looking at me like, why are you trying to get on stage next to him? Who are you, Chica? And the one guy uh, remembered me from the old days. He was like, come on, yo, come on up. So Michi was dancing to his song. And he thought, you know, the song went off and he looked and he hollered when he saw me. He was like, what's up, girl? Where have you been? You still look good. You still look the same. What's going on with your mom? Give me this big old hug. So at that time, when the organization sees that, oh, she's in with boss man, she good. So at that point, it was love from everywhere. It was like an ambush. Guys were saying, get her bottles, get whatever she wants. One guy put like $500, $100 bills in my hand as he shook my hand. It was just mind-boggling. And at that time, that's how I became connected to the first one that I went out with, uh, his fine self. Anyway, so shortly after that, you know, once again, parties didn't stop at the club. These brothers partied in hotels afterwards, unlimited drinking, money. It was just insane. When Michi went to the mall, baby, they went to the mall. They shopped. The salesmen and sales ladies were dizzy because there was no limit on what they 
were spending. They just picked it up, didn't look at the price. It wasn't a thought. Because remind you, they shopping, they might have like what you call the men's um, pouches full of nothing strapped and rolled up or nothing but Benjamins, $100 bills. So it wasn't credit cards, cash, we spend it. What we want, we get it. So from Gucci to Louis, Saks to Nina's, Burberry, made so much money. Designers didn't stand a chance because they were always patronized by the Black Mafia family. Then Atlanta became the known place for BMF because Big Meech put a billboard, listen to me clearly, a billboard up on one of the major highways that said the world is BMF. Then another billboard went up where Big Meech had took a picture with the mayor at the time of Miami. Now, never in history and never will it go down in legacy will another Afro-American head of a notorious organization get a billboard in a city. That, to me, was the ultimate of, like he said in his interviews, he set out to do exactly what he wanted to do, and that's what he did. He made a mark to say, hey, if I'm going to get in this game and I'm going to go down, I'm going to enjoy myself live life to the fullest, and have a freaking ball. Now, Meech states in one of the interviews that I listened to on YouTube that he was 37 when he was locked up. Um, He also said that uh, cash money, anonymously known as cash money, baby and slim, pretty much came up after his reign stopped because he had broke the mold as the entertainment industry and became connected to a lot of well-known entertainers, not in the business of his wrongdoing, but in the business of him being knowledgeable and successful in branching out young artists and making them successful, just like he did with Jeezy and so forth, and Blue Da Vinci. And by doing this, he was ready to turn the streets uh, to turn the streets off and take the money that he had acquired from the street life and put it all into music. Unfortunately, just like what Big Meech said, it was too late. They were on him, they clamped down on him, and they locked him up. Now, this is one of the things I love that I listened to with Big Meech when he was talking from jail to the interviewer. He said, you only seen us enjoying ourselves. No one really saw how I got down unless you were part of my organization. Now, what he meant by that is still to this day, and like Danny confirmed in the interview with me, nobody knows how Michi did what he did and got the money that he got, unless you were part of that organization. So like myself and all the others, we saw the glory side of it, the money, the balling, the partying, and then he took it over the top with the billboards and did another dramatic icon scenario where he threw a million dollars out of a helicopter. So American gangster, you know, Scarface, Michi, he's right in that category. Bad brother to the end. Now T, who Danny speaks about that he was the manager of, was the quiet brother. T was very quiet, didn't ball out, didn't party. 
he was always against Nietzsche doing all that limelighting because he knew that was going to bring heat to the organization. Now, I was not able to find any talk or any interviews with T talking with anyone from jail, but I did read an excerpt where he possibly will be coming out soon saying some things. But um, to this date, March 29, 2015, I don't have anything or was not able to find anything. Um, also, too, I made note that Beach, as he was giving his interview, said that Atlanta was a Chevelle-driving town into he himself motivated these young men to start rides, big rides, such as the Maseratis, the Ferraris, the Lambos, the Phantoms, and the Benzes. Uh, he said because these brothers didn't know the blueprint. Like he said, the game was meant to be sold and not told. So all they saw was him riding good, but they didn't know how he really got the money to do so. So what happened was by them trying to follow in his foot and digging themselves into a ditch they couldn't get out of. That's why it came down to the wire. A lot of these brothers that got these big cars and riding these big cars don't have nowhere to stay. The cars get repossessed because they were looking at what he was doing but not knowing that, like he said, he could put his hands on a million dollars, go out, throw it away, and go right back and get another million. Most ballers can't do that. Shout out to you, Big Meech, because you are very true about that. Also, Meech said that he had seven houses in seven states worth $2 million each or better. He had little spots, which he called little tuck-away getaway spots that were worth half a million or more. Now, one of the things that stuck out in the interview that I heard Meech uh, say was that he had got a letter someone had sent him while he's been incarcerated saying the only reason they were able to indict him was because he did change his Michigan address. And like he said, he was a little baffled about that because what does an address have to do with anything? I'm with you, Meech, on that. What did you what did it have to do with you not changing an address? I've never known the Fed to be concerned about an address. So I'm with you on that speculation to what they meant, or was that just a fan trying to get in so you would be saying, hey, you know, you're my friend now. Kind of weird. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's been a joy. Today is a good day. Watch yourself. Gangster life. Scarface, American gangster. Black mafia family. Demetrius and Terry Flanori, anonymously known as Big Meech and T. All these three big-time notorious gangsters, organizations I've talked to you about, no longer exist. They all came to an end. They all fell, and they all were incarcerated. You ask yourself, is it worth it? Can you handle 30 years in jail? Can you handle it all being taken away from you in a whim because there is no announcement, there is no pre-planning to when the feds come and say, we're snatching you today. I can tell you from having dated the two that I did, there was no pre-warning. You're sitting here going about every day, thinking everything is good, 
So one day you start calling him, women, this is for you. You start calling him, no return phone call. 24 hours has passed, 48 hours has passed, 72 hours has passed, three days. Now it's a week. Your bills are due. You're not working because you're a baller man. You're expecting him to pay your bills is what he's been doing. Then you call the voicemail at school. Then you call and possibly, hopefully, maybe a family member has went to the prison and got their personal items and now answering the phone telling you, hey, baby, he incarcerated. Now your life is taking a toll. What are you going to do? Now you stand, and nine times out of ten, because you weren't wise, you didn't put any money up because you were looking for it to be a bad day. You thought every day was going to be a good day. didn't have any money put up. So now what do you do? So you need to ask yourself, can you handle the bad just as well as you handle the good? Will you stay in this man's corner, ladies, and ride the bid out with him? 10, 20, 30 years. Are you down? What are you going to do for income? What would you possibly do, ladies, if you were one of those ladies like Big T's wife, one of Michi's girlfriends, a lot of the other black mafia family members, wives and girlfriends, when the feds come to you and say, hey, we're giving you a conspiracy charge, you actually have to go away and do jail time yourself or you're actually given 10 or 20 years probation from being affiliated with these guys, doing things you weren't supposed to do. Can you handle that? Do you want that? It's a hard road. It's a tough choice. But I say to you, young men, young ladies, older men, older ladies, make the right choice. Work hard, pray, enjoy your life. Living lavishly, getting it quickly, being in the streets, it won't last. Follow me, Evangelist Yolanda McTeer, on Twitter at capital Y, capital M, lowercase c, capital T, I, E, R. Instagram, Evangelist Y McTeer. Facebook, Evangelist Yolanda McTeer. And out of all, now out of all the social media sites, my biggest one in love is Twitter. That's where my most followers are. That's why I always am. I don't really get into Instagram. I've never been an Instagram follower, so I don't have a lot of people following me, and I don't do a lot of activity on Instagram. Facebook, ah, so-so. Facebook, I saw that a lot of my friends really were not my friends. They came on to be my friend to know my business. But I laugh at it. My motto is, let your haters be your motivators. If you had not hated on me, lied on me, I wouldn't be motivated to keep pushing forward. And as you can see, as I keep pushing forward, God keeps beating me at the door, opening one door after another. To God be the glory. Always be brought up to date. You never know who's stopping by on Empowerment for All. Be blessed. Keep God first. And know that if God has his hand 
on and in your life, all is well. Never second guess, never question. If things didn't go well for you or things collapsed for you, he had to, just as well as he opened the door, close the door. Some things may never be understandable, but remember this. God said in his word, I am that I am. And God will use what the enemy meant for bad and work it to your good. Just like Danny, anonymously known as Dog Man, his mess during the time that he was the manager on Big T's side of the Black Mafia family is now become his message to the young people and the world. Myself, Evangelist Yolanda McTeer, my mess of being a former stripper, going to the stages, now having come to the pages of the Bible, my mess has become my message. I love you. I'm praying for you. Know that if it's a bad day, it too shall end. Every day won't be bad. There's sunshine ahead. If you keep the faith and trust God. Until next time here at Empowerment for All, this is Evangelist Yolanda McTeer. Not saying goodbye, but until the next time, we shall do it again. I'm going to play two songs here. One of the songs which I had played when the author who sat in when Danny couldn't make it the first time, Jerry Heyman, awesome guy who wrote the book, Black Mafia Family, the St. Louis story told by Danny. This was one of Meech's favorite songs when he was in the club. I'm going to play this song, and then I'm going to go out with what I always do, for the love of God. Enjoy your day. Be blessed. Okay. 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 The Sean Paul, Lil John, J Bo, Young Blues. You already know how we do it, homeboy. And Will is A Town on five Will is A Town Attitude, you already know. Lil John, Eastside Boys, and your boy Sean Paul. Let play like this, boy. They callin' me to come back to the street. Who Sean P? A.K.A. or short three said it was necessary. These sucker niggas out here very scary. They cuffing hoes, they living in the month of February. Okay, then. Put a sister nigga on display, then. Kicking your dough and have my folks and bring them K's in. I'm still at it. A-W-T-I-C. It ain't a hoe out there for real. Who don't know about me, bitch? I'm for sure with it. Don't make me pop that trunk to the left, bitch. I will go get it. And I ain't selfish. I will let you in your whole feeling. Won't catch me sipping no, no Chris. and got a cold billing. It's your blood's ace. Town, all liquor sipping, coming straight from the gutter. Toe tag a motherfucker, leave him under a cover. Lil John, he dropped the beat to make it bounce like rubber. Sean Paul told the heat to make it mug then slug it. I post up, get to it, drink hand in hand. They 
call me Mr. Heron Bone, cause that's my right hand man. Old school, straight foolish, like no other indeed. With Lil Johnny's young blood, dead crockets in B. Had it crew 105, as if you look in the rumble. Cock back, bust ain't now I done got your number. In the club, you gon' feel it when it drop this summer. Like rain, we gon' pour and hit you hard like thunder. Cause in the dirt and we been more than drink you under the table. Where the niggas pimp hoes and fly suits and gators. In my Chevy, so super, I'm the one to call. Just dial 1-800-430, alcohol. And dog, I'm not the one that you really just wanna clown. I'm cool in my way, but shit still, I shut them down. Just piss on them haters, J-Bo, he cuts a fool. In a cut, box scissors somewhere, that's how we do. Yeah. If we don't give a damn, we don't give a fuck. Take you through the south to show you how we throw them bones. Yeah. If we don't give a damn, we don't give a fuck. 